Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here. Today's podcast, well, it's a bit of a disaster. It's a bit of a mess because the world of Disneyland has just been moving too fast for the podcast to keep up. Give me a minute and I'll explain to you. Over on YouTube is where I react to things as quickly as possible because the way that YouTube works, in a nutshell, it's the second biggest search engine in the world. The first being Google, the parent company, but the second biggest search engine in the world is YouTube. Now that's a huge thing to focus on because the number one search engine in the world searches the entire world, but YouTube only searches YouTube. So therefore, as a small content creator, thank you so much, club members of 1313 for making all of this possible. When there's something that happens fast, going over to YouTube, trying to paddle out into the internet, trying to surf those waters back to the shore is my best way of finding new audience. It's my best way of trying to get more people to understand what it is that I'm doing and how it all works. Now the podcast, this is where the podcast fits in because you would think, oh, Bricky's falling in love with YouTube. He's falling in love with making videos. Soon the podcast is going to be this afterthought because a lot of big YouTubers go, you know what I could do for a little bit of effort and probably a decent return because I'm already popular. I could just do a podcast. I'm going to do a, a YouTube Patreon and I'll just give people a free podcast because what is podcasting worth? Uh, 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 uh. To me, podcasting is worth everything because it is the medium where you're allowed to consume this content while you live your life. And I'm coming up very quickly on my 10 year anniversary of being a podcaster. And over the last almost 10 years of doing this, people have taken me everywhere. I've been listened to in nearly every uh, country on planet earth. I've been listened to in automobiles, on airplanes, on boats. I've, I've accompanied people that have sailed around the world. I have been with a father when he didn't know if his child and mother of the child, his wife, were going to make it through the night. And when they said, we just, we need to work on them. Everybody needs to get out of the room. He sat in a waiting room and put me and my colleagues, <laughs> if I could call the creeps that I keep around me colleagues in his ear holes, because simply to make it through the night, he just wanted to be with his friends. So when I look at the term podcasting, or when I look at what this medium means to me, this medium to me means the absolute best connection that I can make with someone else, because you're able to right now be doing whatever you're doing and just Pepper's ghost Bricky is hanging out next to you. And I love that because right now in my home studio, I see you Pepper's ghost audience sitting across from me in the couch that faces me where I pretend that, you know, sort of you are at not you specifically, but an energy that represents you. But the problem with the way that I podcast is, uh, you know, I try to do focus on storytelling. I try to focus on bringing in friends and friendships because ultimately podcasting is a very like uh, friendly medium. You have to really say to yourself, is this podcaster someone that I want to be friends with? Now, we all have people that we hate watch on YouTube, right? You love the content. You love whatever uh, specific, specific. <laughs> you love whatever specific content that they bring to you. 
but maybe you don't like their camera setup or their production or their voice or, you know, background noises, whatever it may be. But because it's YouTube and it's normally eight, 10 minutes and most channels that succeed are, are hyper-focused on a subject matter. You're like, well, I don't really know if I'd ever want to go to the movies with this guy, but I love his movie reviews. But that's different with podcasting because it's the long haul. Episodes are much longer. It's much more intimate. And I feel like to bring somebody into your routine of a podcaster, somebody who is going to, you know, be in your headphones when you're walking the dog or cleaning up the house or taking a car ride or, or as soon as the kids get out of the car or maybe listening with the kids in the car, that has to be someone that you think of as a friend. So I've always really tried to focus on building the show around me and my friendships because friendship is contagious. As we've all learned over the last year, being so separated, so far apart from one another has been probably most definitely other than if you had anything to deal with your health has for me been the hardest thing. And when I look back at old photos of Disneyland and watch old videos of Disneyland, I don't know in the last year if I ever woke up one day and be like, oh, I just wish I could ride the Haunted Mansion today. I really, really need to ride the Haunted Mansion today. I miss Pepper's ghost and the worst way. Oh, if I could just get back to the Haunted Mansion. I've never woke up one day in the last year feeling the urge to ride one of the attractions. But I have woke up every single day last year saying, I miss walking through the park. I miss seeing people living the life, experiencing the magic in the park. And most importantly, I miss my friends from the park. And so I've always tried to deliver a friendship first. Whatever we talk about is secondary because the friendship is the through line. And that contagiousness of being around each other, I feel that's hopefully what will bring you back again. And there's a weird way where the world works for all of us. And while we're living it day by day, we don't exactly know what we're doing. You know, Walt Disney came to California with a suitcase and a dream. He didn't know that at the moment. (laughs) He was a young guy going, look, this Kansas stuff, it's just not working for me, man. I need to go someplace else. I need, I need to try something else. So he goes out to California. That's where the entertainment industry is. He pounds the pavement, you know, a a lot of, of uh, hard work, a lot of determination, um, some visual talent, but definitely more determination, more hard work than actual raw talent uh, that then would manifest into a vision of where he wanted to go. But also, let's not tell the story a different way than how it really happened. Walt Disney was very lucky, right? He was very lucky that he trusted his instincts and his instincts brought him to this precious thing called the right place at the right time. And that has served me well in all aspects of my life. But when you're living your life day to day, you don't know that you're writing this beautiful story. You can only read your life's beautiful story when you look at it in reverse, because then you can see how all the little moments aligned. So I'm going to go through how all the little moments aligned and tell you a personal Disney story before we get into the rest of today's episode and I explain to you why today's episode is quite honestly, it's a, just a big disastrous mess. I come from the world of the music industry. When I could see the band days sort of dissipating, it was very exhausting being on tour all the time. 
Uh, I was in the band days before, you know, there was streaming and, and all these different platforms to really take small bands and, and, and make them, you know, be able to make a, a good career of living out on the road. I was in the music industry back when the only shot you had was getting signed by a major record label. And I have performed for all the major record labels. I've done the auditions. I've taken the dinner. I've met the people. And ultimately, it just didn't work out. I had a backup plan. And if you really, really want to do something in this life, the best advice I can give you is never, ever have a backup plan. Because eventually, my backup plan took over and I became a graphic designer. Not complaining. It was a different lifestyle. And now that I look at some of my friends that are still in bands from that time period that got big enough to make a living, but not ever big enough to sort of be set, I do see a lot of friends that I don't think that they enjoy the music anymore, but they are stuck in that moment in time. And this was something I was able to escape. So I hop trains. I go from music to the music industry. I work in the music industry for a while. I jump from the music industry over into the art world because I was doing a lot of design stuff in the music world. This is going to get to Disney, don't worry. When I jumped over to the art world, my wife and I started doing silkscreen concert posters, limited edition silkscreen concert posters. And we actually went very, very far with that. Uh, at a time, we were one of the top 100 artists at that discipline that were alive. We were featured in books. We were featured in rock and roll magazines. And my wife and I, we toured the country yet again. Bricky's back on the road. But this time, it's all merchant <laughs> merchandise table, all merch table, no show. Because we just toured the world selling our artwork. And along the way, one of the things that we did was we got rid of our clients. We realized that freedom would come from just selling our own artwork. And on that journey, I started telling the story of being a confused young man trying to make a living at freelance, trying to make a living. The, the catchphrase that I came up with along the way, I didn't know this in the beginning, was how to turn your daydream into your day job. And see, I had done that. I was fortunate enough that my daydream had become my day job, but there's also a little bit of a nightmare in there. When the thing that you love the most, you discover because it sort of disrupts other parts of your life. That's a whole other topic for a whole other disastrous of a podcast. But in that art of telling the story of what it meant to be a freelancer, what it meant to be creative, I kind of got to go back to being the guy that was on stage, an entertainer, a storyteller, somebody that loves to, to sort of you know conduct the energy of a crowd. And even though it was through podcasting and it was on several days delay, whenever that episode would finally get produced and go out and I could read the comments, I got that spark of joy back in my life that I was entertaining people, but in a whole different way, not me standing on a stage and them being right in front of me where I say something, I can immediately see you laugh or react. But I was seeing something, it was being recorded, it was being produced, and then days later, people would see it and they would respond to it, and I would just live my life and like, I can't wait for people to hear this joke at the 12-minute mark. I can't wait for people to hear this bit that I came up with. So I was finding a different way to tell the world of creativity. And eventually I said, this is the way that I need to go. There's more of a need for me to tell the story of being a freelancer, of being a creative, of finding a way to turn your daydream into your day job. But the best way for me to do that is to just pursue that because there's so many other freelancers, there's so many other creatives. And what all these people could use is a really good conversation, some guidance on how to get to where they want to go. And other creatives deserve to sit across from me in an interview. Not a fan that asks stupid questions. How did you get started? What are your inspirations? But sit across from me, somebody that has lived their life that goes, oh, well, the reason why you were scared there is because if you lost this client and you've already quit your job and you have a kid on the way, 
it's all coming down to this to this project. So no wonder you kind of messed up the proposal or no wonder you weren't your best self because it was all on the line and you choked. What did you do when they told you no? How did you fall back on that? This is what I did in that situation because I had lived the stories that I was talking about. So whether I was talking to a new freelancer who was just getting started or whether I was talking to Shepard Ferry, probably at my age, he's probably the guy that will go into the art history books to represent folks of my age, folks of my discipline. And sitting across from Shepard Ferry, it was very interesting to talk about Obama and meeting Obama and being with Obama on the day that we'd all learned who the president was going to be in 2016. You know, it was a very interesting conversation and I was able to get there because I understood Shepard Ferry because in many ways I am Shepard Ferry. And when I got to speak to the president of ABC in a very interesting way, I understand what her hurdles were. I understand the demands of the job and not to interview her as a fellow TV executive, but as a fellow creative. And that really worked. And so therefore, I was able to just build this career and go into this full time. And then that at the end of my art career, I got asked to be an artist for the Wonderground gallery. And it was kind of good timing. It was kind of bad timing. I no longer wanted to have art in my life because I love it. I felt like I was good at it, but not great at it. I do feel that I'm great at this and it is important to feel that you are great at something. And it's also important to give yourself permission to admit, Hey, this is something I'm really good at, but being really good at something and being really good at doing it professionally, that's two different disciplines. So I needed to focus on being really good at this, at storytelling, at podcasting, creating content, which back in 2014, there wasn't really a way to monetize it. So right at the end of my art career, I got asked by Disney to become an artist for the Wonderground Gallery. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to do four or five jobs, just enough to say that I did it, but then I'm going to quit. Because if I keep doing art and art's my backup, the content will never succeed. And I've already done art. This is a chapter in my life that I feel like I'm done with. And I feel like there's more of a need for me to be this guy than that guy. And also, and this is very important, I was afraid that if I worked with the discipline of art for too long, I would learn, or not the discipline of art, but if I worked with Disney as a client for too long, I might see some things, I might meet some people, and I might break this thing that I love. Because keep in mind, I've already broke music. I've gone so far in the music industry that it's just very hard for me to enjoy music. I kind of enjoy it now because I've been out of it for a while. But there was a moment... Every band that came on the radio, I could tell you some shinfo that you didn't want to know about that particular artist or their label or their deal. And it, it just ruined something that had been my life's blood. In this journey, I meet Jared. Jared and I meet at a signing. Uh, he probably sold a hundred to one to me because that's who Jared is. But we met and we had a mutual friend, this guy, Mark, who I'd actually been to Disneyland with before, because every now and again, I would say, hey, if you listen to Adventures in Design and you want to go to Disneyland with me, let's go and do the Bricky tour. Let's go to Bricky land and I'll give you a designer's tour of the park. Nobody paid me money for this. It was just literally like a content creator saying, hey, if seven, eight people that listen to my show want to meet up, we'll walk through the park and I'll show you all the things that I've learned about it from a creative perspective. And in doing that, I met this guy, Mark. Okay. So when Mark is hanging out with me, I don't know that he knows Jared. And then when I go and do the signing and I meet Jared for the first time, Jared was very, very nice. He said, I listened to your show. So nice to meet you. I'm like, Oh, very nice to meet you. You know, I love your artwork. I love, you know, your beat on things. And I'm like, we have bought hipster Mickey 
merchandise to give to our niece who lives back on the East Coast, who's a big Disney fan. He's like, oh, that's so sweet. So then this mutual friend we have between us, Other Mark, that I like to refer to Other Mark, which I think Jared likes Other Mark slightly better than uh, me, Old Mark. But Other Mark said, would you be interested in interviewing Jared? And I said, yeah, I would love to. So I go and meet Jared at a hotel, you know, like a month later. I didn't realize at the time he didn't live in Los Angeles. I go and meet Jared at a hotel. And Jared and I sit across from one another. And I do the interview. And I stay in the bounds of an interview. But then when I was done, like, I'm, this is a busy guy. He's in from out of town. He probably wants to go rip the park. He probably has a big signing to do or whatever. And Jared was just fascinated in talking to me about Disney, Disneyland. And the interview maybe ran like 90 minutes like these things tend to. But the conversation we had was probably about three or four hours just talking about the park, how we loved it. You know, the unique perspective you get when you work with them as an artist. And it was just a phenomenal conversation. So then months later, I see Jared is coming down for a signing on Saturday. But I see that he's going to show up. I see that he's in transit on that Friday. My wife is out of town. And I just hit him up with a DM. I go, yo, if you're going to go to the park tonight and you want a bud to do a lap with, hit me up, man. Hit me up and I'll meet you out there and we'll, we'll, we'll crush the park together. And he's like, yeah, that'd be great. So unfortunately that night, there was something going on where you couldn't go to Disneyland. I think there was a private function or something. It was a Friday night. It was very odd. Nobody could get into Disneyland. So Jared and I did a lap around DCA, which doesn't take that long. And we ended up having dinner at Lamplight. And we talked nonstop about Disney, working together, what we loved about the parks. We took a lap. And it was just like, this is amazing. I have officially established my very first Disneyland friend. Someone that I have so much in common with from my career and other, you know, pressure points. We're similar in age, similar in, in taste and in music and politics and social issues. But the core of our friendship was Disneyland. And then Jared would go on to say, hey, uh, would you want to meet a buddy of mine, Carrie, uh, who's a 33 member? And, you know. Would you like to meet with us and, and go out to eat? It'd be fun to have you there, and, and he'd like to meet you. So then Jared introduces me to this dude, Carrie. And Carrie is a wild card. I mean, this dude is absolutely feral. And I love him. I love him dearly. And I meet him. And when I first meet him, you know, he's, he's, he's verbose. He, he's very, very self-confident. He's a very successful guy in the world of business. And uh, he's a, at the heart of it. You know, he's a salesman, but not too salesy. Like, just knows how to have a conversation, knows how to fit in the pocket. And so Carrie's kind of like, you know, poking at me. And I'm doing my thing where I, like, give you a satisfactory answer. But I'm a master conversationalist. So I'm poking back. And I'm giving it to him twice as hard as he's giving it to me. And Carrie and I just realized that we have, at the core, a really, really great time getting together and hanging out and talking about the park, talking about business, talking about life. And there's a little bit of an age gap between us. But you wouldn't know that because when we sit down, it's like coworkers or like best friends getting together. And I believe that one of the things that made my bud Carrie initially like me is that because he has access to the club, that will change things. You know, people will try to abuse that. People will try to use that. But don't forget, I've grown up around celebrity my entire life. I'm from an industry where 
I meet all kinds of weird people, do all kinds of weird things. And you get it. You live in Southern California. We have a very different relationship to, to, to the juice, to the power. And so therefore, yeah, I like going to the club. It's great. He's been very generous in giving me a lot of access to the club and I've met a lot of people and it's been a, a, a fantastic thing to have in my life. It's a chapter that may be over with where the world's going, but ultimately when I hung out with him, I realized that this was going to be like my second friendship. And this one completely established around Disneyland because I already had Jared, who was like that hybrid, you know, he's an art bud, but we are into the same thing. And that's where the friendship took off. But Carrie was just my first ever Disney friend. And I think where a lot of people would be like, oh, you know, could I ever get into the club? Could I ever get a favor from you? I just said, hey, man, I live 13 miles from the park. At the moment, Jared still didn't live down here. I said, if you ever are looking for somebody just to take a lap with, hit me up. I come here once a week, most of the time just by myself. But if you ever just want to take a lap, hit me up. Let's take a lap. And I, I think most people had always waited for this guy to invite them to sort of the pinnacle of a Disney experience. But I just said, if we end up there, that's fine. I love going there and, and it's a good time, but I don't need it. Right. And I think that I showed to him that we can have as much fun cruising around the park, just taking a lap, talking life, talking about the park. And if we end up there, that's fine. But sometimes I would insist like, dude, we're not going there tonight. We'll go there for a drink afterwards if you need a drink, but we're going, we're eating dinner at the Plaza Inn because that's where I'm a member. I'm a member at the Plaza Inn and I got us a table right by the Astro Orbiter. We're going to the Plaza Inn. So after hanging out with Carrie for a while and becoming good friends and sort of becoming his go-to guy of, hey, Mark, there's some people that I'm entertaining at the club, but you know, I'd, I'd like to have one of my buds there. Yeah, man, I'm in, I'm in. Like, I'll go there and I'll meet whoever your friends are. And really quickly, he realized that as he would work the room and we refer to him as the mayor of the club, that simply he could just leave me at a table with anybody and I could just go into interview conversational mode and just be like, hey, Pete Block, tell me your story about how you fell in love with Disneyland. Tell me why this place matters to you. You've been coming here your whole life. I'm fascinated by people. I, I literally want to know what makes everyone tick. And that's why when I decided like, hey, if my YouTube channel ever gets big enough that anybody ever notices me, I'm going to always stop and have a conversation with them because I will then display to the audience that Disneyland is full of citizens of Disneyland. It is a thriving community and it is not just a place full of tourists trying to escape or get away or cram it all into a California vacation. And I honor that because I genuinely have a curiosity about you. And so then as 2019 would get ready to come to a close, Carrie, who is a very, very gracious and giving person, he said, Hey, Mark, I have something for you and Beth. It ended up being like, you know, a impromptu, not impromptu, but sort of a, a holiday gift. He goes, um, I'm going to take you on your first ever VIP tour. And I said, what? You're really going to gift me a VIP tour. He's like, yeah, man, we're going to get some people together and we're going to go on a tour. And this tour ended up happening on Christmas Eve, Eve 2019. And another person that was in the pack was my friend Louie, who you guys heard on a podcast a while back, who is an architect, 
who works with Disneyland. Disneyland has the Imagineers that sort of dream up everything. Like today's episode is about the Indiana Jones that we never got. And in the concept art that was originally done, you see Imagineering doing their blue sky adaptation, their vision board of if you said money's not an object, if you said that we could have all of the resources that we want, what's the best damn Indiana Jones attraction we could ever build? And they draw it. They put their heart into it. And they really start with the most ambitious version of what something could be. But then life slowly whittles it down due to budget restrictions, due to Disneyland having a lack of land, due to the way that they need to build the park in a way that it is all things to all people and that it can always adapt. Now, in today's episode, we're going to talk all about this concept art and how this concept art would have changed the park forever. But what I want to really strike a chord with is that design by restriction is the best form of design. Because going back in my career, the reason why I never wanted to be a fine artist is because it's too easy to do fine art. Fine art is just you doing whatever you want for the sake of doing it. Now, it takes skill. I'm not going to argue that. It takes a lot of determination to, to find a, a space for yourself in the market, to find a collector, to find a buyer. It has a lot of professional challenges. But the art of learning who you are and making what you want to make for you and you alone is the, in my estimation, the easy part of it. But I like a challenge. I love creative problem solving. And when I found Disneyland, I discovered a world full of creative problem solving. And often over the last year, as I've watched different YouTubers that focus just on Walt Disney World, Michael K, for example, who needs to stop doing hotel videos, needs to stop doing food videos, and needs to get back to walking me through the Magic Kingdom and its various parks, I sometimes feel that Walt Disney World, I, I'm a, I am a big Disneyland or Disney Parks content absorber, right? I am a fan, and I will always just give my fandom out there, no doubt about it. But what I've learned that Walt Disney World, sometimes it just feels too easy. It just feels too easy. Walt Disney World feels like fine art because Walt built or purchased or sculpted the biggest canvas that you could imagine. So in many ways, like, well, if we want to do Animal Kingdom and we have fireworks, we'll just put Animal Kingdom way over here in its little corner so that the fireworks never bother the animals. Now, I love that. That is sweet. I don't go to zoos. I'll never set foot in sea world it's just not for me i won't eat food someplace where i can see an animal in a cage and oh my god i just cursed on the disney content because sea world and and animals in captivity makes me that angry but the point is with a big enough canvas it's easy and you can put animal kingdom very 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 far from the magic kingdom so the fireworks don't bother the animals but what i loved about anaheim and what i loved about my career is i love design within restriction so today we're going to talk about what it would have been like if they could have actually built this ambitious 
ambitious blue sky version of Indiana Jones, but in many reasons why they didn't, and in many reasons why the park ended up being the way that it needed to be. And my friend Louie exists within the world of Disneyland design restrictions, because once the blue sky phase is over, the budgeting phase and the reality phase begins, and Imagineering goes from these fantastic illustrations, then it goes into architectural blueprints, it goes into 3D modeling, it goes into a uh, augmented reality research so that they can walk through the space and make sure it's right. Then my bud Louie has to come in and say, okay, this is how we're actually going to build it. And so Carrie, who is a curator of conversations and friendship, made sure that Louie and I were on the same tour. But most importantly, and this is where I'll love him forever, he knew that the VIP tour guide, Philander Butler, would have to be the tour guide that takes out his friend, Mark Brickey. Because my man, Carrie, he's never, ever let me mispronounce one word around him. He's the type of friend that will tell you every mistake that you've ever made. But he's also the type of friend that will make sure that you have everything that you need and everything that he thinks you deserve. And he knows my love of the park. He knows my love of how it was built and constructed in its history. And he wanted to make sure in his own like lovable, sarcastic way that I was paired with somebody that would know a little bit more than me and that would be able to teach me something so he could say, well, Mark Bricky learned this because I had it taught to him. And I know that. And I love that sort of like competitive edge to him. It is literally what makes him one of my best friends. And so he said, Hey Mark, I got it all dialed in. I, I talked to him. This is going to be the guy that is our tour guide. And so I DM'd Philander. I went, found him on Instagram and I said, Hey bud, you're my Christmas gift. I'm in New York right now with my wife's family. We always go to, to Christmas in New York, like the week, two weeks before it happens out here. Cause I actually prefer being home during the holidays and being in New York and traveling there and all that stuff is a disaster. So anyways, what happens is, is I, I DM him and say, I've got a tour coming up with you. My bud Carrie set it up. I can't wait to meet you. And I, and I just, I'm so excited. And I remember I couldn't sleep the night before my tour. I remember going, oh my God, tomorrow I'm going to experience Disneyland in a whole new way. So we got up, we went to the Grand Californian when you check in. And when I met Philander, I'm like, he went around and said hi to everybody. And he goes, hey, bud, what's up? I'm like, dude, I'm so excited to meet you in the real world. And on that tour, it was so awesome to meet somebody who loved the park the way that I did. And I've met lots of people that love the park, but I'd never really met somebody that specifically loved it from where emotion meets art. And I've never met anybody that could verbalize it the way that I did. And on the tour, he'd be like, do you know this? And I'd be like, yeah, I do. And I'm excited to hear that. But then I also, I taught him like a couple of my little you know, pearls. I, you know, we're, we're standing on Buena Vista street and, and I told him, you know, my own story that I've created that Carthay circle and sleeping booties castle are the bookends of greatness. And he's like, Hey man, that's really good. So I think that he could see that he'd met a fellow storyteller and then you cue what happens next 
is, you know, we, we DM'd, we talked to each other. And at the end of the tour, he's like, Hey, you know, if, if you guys see me in the park, make sure you say hi, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't want to like abuse the friendship. You know, after all, I've kind of been around celebrity. I've been around people that have very influential jobs with inventors and design. I've interviewed like hundreds of the world's best creative minds. And I kind of know that arm's length that you're supposed to stay at from people. But then as the pandemic sort of came in and things shifted, I reached out to Philander and I said, Hey, would you want to be on the podcast? And don't worry, I'm never going to interview you about being a VIP tour guide. We're going to talk about things from a fan's perspective, from the perspective of, of people that love the art and design. And I will always protect what your job is. I won't ask you any questions that could get you into hot water. I will be more cautious than you will be about this and assure me I've interviewed both the president of ABC and another top ranking executive at ABC. If I've talked to the top brass, I can talk to you. I've been trained. I know how to stay in the box. And so we started podcasting through zoom together and it was fun because we would do the podcast that you heard. And then we would hang out and talk for another hour and change annoy both of our wives. Like you said, it was only going to be an hour and a half. And eventually I was like, Hey Beth, I'm going to do a podcast with Philander. She's like, all right, well I'll see you tomorrow. Cause we would literally talk that long. And then as people just started to get a little bit used to living in pandemic times, I started going to Philander's house. We would hang outside the whole time we would record, but you guys always heard like 33.3% of the conversation. Cause we would always talk for about 66% longer. And the point of this story is, is that you don't really know what you're doing as you're doing it. You're just following your instincts. And I'm huge on instincts. But what happened was, is that my life's direction took me to a point where my original Disneyland friend, Jared, just decided that this was a year he was going to take off from society. And Jared followed the rules better than any body I know. And so Jared was kind of just off into cute land. He was just being the king of the kingdom of cute, making cute things, working at a brisk pace, but just not hanging. And my bud, Carrie, who's a little bit older at first, he thought it was the flu. And then his, 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 uh, his tone changed and he decided to take it serious. And he just decided, you know what? I'm going to lock down as well. And my bud Louie, in many ways, as Disneyland reshifted, he got busier than ever because as you let go of employees, it's easier just to work with other teams a la carte when you need them. But my relationship with Philander is my Disneyland relationship that got me through the last year. Every Tuesday night, I go and record a podcast for Fridays. It's called Hammer Time. It is adult rated and I would not recommend it if you don't like adult subject matter. I do it with my friends, the violent gentleman, uh, which is a hockey brand based out of Costa Mesa. Another friend of ours, uh, Gus, who you heard back on the podcast, who's a tattoo artist is in the room. And our friend Biggie, who manages lots of heavy metal, hard rock bands is, is in there. The, the five of us get together. Every week and we record this podcast and then we just talk about violent gentlemen and we talk about politics and we talk about pop culture and it's all from just like an old jaded guy 
point of view and it's rough around the edges and I love it. It, It's my guy time. And it, for, you know, uh, four married guys and one eligible bachelor, it's a good thing to have your guy time, a poker night, if you will, but it's a podcast night where we get together and we talk. But that journey every week takes me to Orange, California. And I had been to Disneyland every week since it was closed, taking a lap around the outer perimeter of it and just seeing it and being adjacent to it. Because that's what I had always done is every Tuesday on my way to Hammer Time, I would go to the park and I would walk through it and rip through it, trying to figure out a way to make content about it because I love it. But adding Philander into my life and having this weekly visit with a bud where mentally and conversationally we would go back into the park, we would walk through it, we would, you know, you could tell him any square inch sitting on the bench right when you come through Toontown. Then my friend Daphne just posted over in 1313. And you can say that to Philander and he goes, oh, Bricky. And then you sit there and you hear the train go by. But you can also hear the families over having fun over at Goofy's, you know, playing around in the park there. And then he can tell you some wild story, uh, you know, about the little trolley, Toontown trolley that I've never seen move an inch. And it just is important to have a friend for everything. It is important to have a friend that understands that one slice of you. And we're complicated people being a human in 2021 might be the most complicated time ever to be a human. Now, don't get me wrong. There's been harder times to be a human. Like if you're a human in 21, that's probably some hard human days and you didn't live that long and you were rough around the edges and you woke up every day going survival. I need to survive today, but let's add 2000 years up on the board. And now it's very confusing and it's very stressful being a human and you're complicated. I'm complicated. And having one friend that represents each part of you is one of the best things that you can accomplish in life. And so Philander somehow falling into my life when Disneyland would close would be perfect because I would have an extension to Disneyland. I would have someone to have these conversations with to take each of you into Disneyland. But most importantly, a guy whose job is to ride the rides is to navigate the park every day and to make sure someone from somewhere that has spent an insane amount of money has the most memorable visit to Disneyland and that all of their dreams and wishes are fulfilled so that they feel extreme value on the money that they just paid and they will return again or tell two of their other rich or famous friends. A guy that had that as his five to six day work week grind who was put on the sidelines due to a global pandemic, due to a decision to be a great dad and to take this time to be with his daughter And to really, you know, look for the silver lining in one of the darkest clouds and one of the darkest skies. In many ways, we gave that back to him. We gave him the conversation through me, but we gave him the community through you. And I can't think of any other thing that could have been better for either one of us 
through the times that we just lived through. I mean, the best thing would be that this never happened. And, you know, we still kind of like kind of know Philander, <laughs> but that's not what happened. The park shut down. I think that each of us needed the other to keep this muscle memory going, to keep this routine going and to keep telling the stories and keep hearing the stories and keep, I'm getting choked up and keep filling the bond that is Disneyland. And this Sunday, Philander went back home and he's back in the park and he's back there working. And even though I know that that will largely complicate him being back on the show, we'll see how all that goes. I'm so happy that my friend is back. I'm so happy that he's in there getting to see it, getting to live it, getting back to the life that he once knew and that him and 10,000 of his best buds are all working really, really hard to get you and I back in there. This is a really long story to tell you that we're really, really close to seeing things the way that we once saw them. It'll be a gradient. It'll be a change. It won't happen overnight. But slowly, every night, something something is happening. And a big sign of that is that our friend, Philander Butler, is back where he belongs. Not here <laughs> every week, but back where he really belongs, doing the thing that he does better than anyone else, and truly being an outstanding citizen of Disneyland. So yes, Jared... You have changed my life in so many ways. And Carrie, you have been one of the most giving and thankful friends I've ever had. And I appreciate every favor that you've ever done for me. I hope that I have been worth my weight and friendship for all of the entertaining evenings that I've given you. And it's not my fault that every time something bad happens to you, I'm in the room. But largely, to Philander who became a very, very good friend when I needed one the most and for all the time that he gave us, for all the stories that he gave us and how the two of us and our spark of a friendship, hopefully over the last year, helped you feel like you went through the tunnel on the right, you found a bench to sit on in a perfect land, and while everybody else was off writing something that you don't care about, you got to hang out with two friends back home at Disneyland. Philander, thank you so much for all the time that you gave me, my audience. But most importantly, thank you so much for the friendship that that you offered me. It was uh, always an honor and a pleasure, and Tuesday nights just went way too fast. Friends, today's episode is all about the Indiana Jones that we never got. This was recorded weeks ago. There will be mentions of Touch of Disney is coming. <laughs> there will be mentions of maybe the park will be reopening. And it's all outdated. But I thought that it was an important conversation that you would still enjoy. And a really great way to go out on an end of the Philander era of Disneyland for Designers. Now, I, I say the end of the Philander era in that... 
where we have Philander accessible to us nearly every week to always be there. That's just not realistic. And I don't abuse my friendships. He will still be back up on the show, but it is, it is a difference of an era and it'll be interesting when he comes back in because you know, he's back inside. So I, I, I just, I like to just be transparent about things and say that, you know, We'll do our best to get him back on, but we shouldn't be sad that he's not here because we should be happy that he's back there. So in a way, because podcasting after all is all about friendship. And the reason why I do this is because I do care about my audience and I do find this to be an insanely intimate platform. I decided that I would spend 45 minutes giving you some new content, <laughs> a new perspective, a new way to appreciate a recording that's been sitting over here for a couple of weeks that had to get bumped as life has just been really, really wild here in Southern California as we're quickly, quickly getting back to the life that we once all knew. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Philander Butler on episode 58 of Disneyland for Designers. It's the Indiana Jones we almost got. Hey friends, today's episode with Philander Butler is made possible by members of Club 1313. If you would like to support my content and if you would like to get bonus content, last week there wasn't a podcast that went out to the public, but I did record a bonus podcast just for members of Club 1313, which was called uh, Disneyland is Reopening, Why Am I So Sad?, and it literally talked about many of us are probably feeling a little bit of a hesitation about going back into the real world, but also Disneyland reopening signifies the end of a chapter for the last 400 days. All of us have been on the exact same page. We've all had the exact same amount of Disneyland privileges, which is zero. But as the park reopens and we don't know the future of an annual pass membership program, many of us are going to be like, Oh, yeah, things are getting different. I'm going to officially, for the first time in a long time, feel the locked outness of Disneyland. And many of us probably have insane anxiety about how we're going to secure tickets, how we're going to get reservations, and how our out of state and out of country friends are going to eventually make their way back home to Disneyland. That is an episode that I put out just for members last week, as well as exclusive streams and as many different types of content that I can provide for them. But most importantly, it gives you access to the Club 1313 Clubhouse, which is our private Discord server, which I would like to refer to as the Poor Man's Club 33. And I say poor man's as in society because there's plenty of poor women in there as well. So if you have the means and you want to support the content and you're looking for the bonus, but also to be a part of an amazing community, head over to club1313.com, join the club today, and know that you're supporting all of the content at Disneyland for Designers and over at the YouTube channel, Adventures in Design. Thank you. Adventureland, the wonder world of nature's own realm. There are these moments where we look at concept art and we understand you and I are practical fans, right? Yes. Like we get why some things don't come into fruition, why some things don't happen, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that our hearts have to forget. Yeah. That's see <laughs> people like look at the concept art 
and they're like, this is the final product. (laughs) This is it. I can't wait to do this very specific thing in this image. Where's all my flags? Where's all my aliens (laughs) in Galaxy's Edge? The incredibly populated Galaxy's Edge. So so many travelers, but also so many ribbons and flags. Mm -hmm. And just where (laughs) they go? Who fell out of the budget? I'm here on an off day, I think. (laughs) Hey, when's Flag Day? When are they going to put those up? But, you know. What we're talking about tonight is the, the the concept art, which was the ultimate, you know, blue sky version of Indiana Jones. And as Indiana Jones last week turned, uh, how many years? 26 years old now? Twenty. Yeah, was it? Uh, 95. Yeah, because yeah. I remember um, last year on Indiana Jones's birthday mm-hmm. was actually my last trip to Disneyland. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. And uh, really great cast member story where one of the women that was working the tropical hideaway mm-hmm. said guess how many cards i have in this deck and i'll give you your dole whip and i was just like i don't know like 60 <laughs> she's like yeah that's close enough <laughs> <laughs> and she actually gave me that gnarly indiana jones 25th oh, anniversary okay. that dole whip like where they recreated the ride in <laughs> snack form <laughs> so that was my last rip and you know we've jared and i have talked about indiana jones before but I thought it would be fun to sort of, well, the world's kind of on pause, Mm -hmm. to pontificate on what this could have looked like. So I say we start here. If this version of Indiana Jones were to be built, Mm -hmm. we all know what happens when you go on the other side of the railroad tracks. (laughs) Disneyland Railroad Mm -hmm. gets shut down. So let's just talk for a little bit about how different the Disneyland Railroad would be if we were to actually pierce through mm-hmm. the Indiana G- Jones show building because according to the concept art that we fell in love with, it doesn't look like you just sort of like swing by like zippity doo da, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and see the gang in the uh, Splash Mountain, you know, mm-hmm. boat. Like which, a quick little whoop, there they go. Yeah. Oh, look on. at that in there. <laughs> which really, that's the American Sings mm-hmm. folks, right? Yeah, pretty much. That's almost, that's probably most of them, yeah. So... It appears that this would be a much longer, like actually yeah, riding we'll time through. In there. And I I think that it's a one-two punch. Not only when we're on the Disneyland Railroad, is this going to be amazing to go through and see, you know, fire and brimstone and, and see the Jeeps ripping around, mm-hmm. but also see a second vehicle, a little bit more explosion of the Jungle Cruise. But imagine the storytelling from all of those items. Yeah seeing a railroad come through yeah it's almost hard to imagine because i don't think in, at least to my knowledge nothing that elaborate exists in a single show building um like a four separate attractions and it's like go in there and have like you said a few moments at least to actively because it's almost a splash mountain i think i think people miss it because it's so quick and without them piping in the music i think you're you know if you had your head down on your phone you look up you already missed it but yeah. to actively spend what 30 seconds to a minute in there would would be wild as your eyes just like danced around the space of there's the jeeps and there's this this other coaster of there's the jungle crew like that would have been nuts to see that it would also you know i mean we don't sell tickets to the actual attractions mm-hmm. but it would upsell those experiences 100 percent. Like if you were somebody who just went to disneyland for the first time you know you're the random person that got dragged mm-hmm. along on a family <laughs> vacation or you're somebody who's at a convention over at the Anaheim Convention Center and everybody's like, hey, we're going over to Disneyland. I've never been. I'll buy a ticket. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with you guys. You ride through there and you see that and you're like, oh, now I got to be a part of this yeah. because 
it'd be very easy. I'm sure there's several people that go to Disneyland for the first time and completely miss Indiana Jones. Oh, for sure, for sure. They've done such a great job of embedding that 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 cue. Like it, it's so natural the, the 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 greenery in that area. Yep. And if it weren't for your favorite people that like to um Oh, the Disneyland <laughs> Bermuda Triangle. Yes, where you have to think about life. I'm telling or... you right now. <laughs> parks been closed for a year. There's still strollers and people standing in front of the Disneyland, in front of the Indiana Jones queue. (laughs) If it weren't for those people, I think people completely miss it. They're just (laughs) like, what's going on here? I almost swear that if you ended up in the TV show Lost, when you pop back up into our reality, you pop back up (laughs) standing in front of Indiana Jones. Like, oh, how did I get here? Okay, so I've never told you this, but you'll agree because you are someone who loves navigating the parks oh yeah so there's times when i you know i'm, I'm on tour i'm walking with families we're going down main street they're like we want to do Nina jones i'm like perfect i take them through Frontierland, okay and wrap around yes. the top of riverbell terrace yes and you can see the people that have been there for like philander uh where are we going adventure right there i'm like i know where we're going <laughs> it's trust like me. trust me we're around this corner you're gonna see why i why i passed People are so amazed when I'm leading Mm -hmm. how much I use what I refer to as the outer hub, Mm -hmm. that little trailway that goes, you know, it cuts around the top of Adventureland, takes you over to Frontierland, takes you up the west and eastern side of Sleeping Beauty. Like, people are like, we're we're going to Galaxy's Edge. We just checked in to get our wristbands over Tomorrowland. Why are we going in this direction? Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I'm going to skip about 2,000 people in line. (laughs) And it's gotten better, thankfully, with uh, them adding that space on the side. Project Stardust. Mm -hmm. But still, I think those people will always be there no matter matter what (laughs) they're there now. Just a bunch of walking dead zombies. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of shuffling and jokes. And is one of them complaining? Swiss family, Walt would die if he knew that this was Tarzan. (laughs) Tarzan. He would die again. So many times Walt's died now. (laughs) But getting on the railroad Mm -hmm. and riding through there and seeing those three attractions come together, you said something interesting. That type of layering doesn't happen, Mm -hmm. but it did. The 1959 expansion of Tomorrowland. Yeah, you're right. That Connecticut, I mean, and granted- that's not like one attraction stitching them together, mm-hmm. but there was a moment where you could stand, you could see sky buckets, you could see. Oh no, the sky buckets weren't around yet in '59, were they? Oh, um, not. I don't want to say not right at '59, but there was a time when all of them existed together in that moment. Yeah, sky buckets, monorail, liquid all at space, once, yeah. and uh, Utopia. All of that happened together, as well as the. Uh, uh, the rocket jets, rocket astro jets. orbiter. I always want to call it <laughs> astro orbiter. <laughs> They've changed the names. So was it rocket jets, astro orbiter, and uh, oh, what's the first one? Masanto presents <laughs> Masanto going in circles <laughs> into space. Astro jets was the astro other jets, one. Yeah. yeah, three times, three changes. So <clears throat> that type of layering is what makes Tomorrowland awesome. Yeah, know, that in, kinetic in energy is everything. And I'd forgotten about that because, my, of course, my mind was thinking of it being in a building. But you are right that Tomorrowland was, you know, world on the move, like constantly everything in motion, especially after People Mover came in 67. Because now you People have, Mover. I left that off the list. Yeah. Sky Buckets, People Mover, Autopia, Subs, Bobsled. Because um, you could see those at least go by, too. They right. They Field of Vision and Monorail. Like, that's so much going on. Right in, in that, that corner. Mm-hmm. Right in that corner. And now you can see... Um, Abandoned tracks, <laughs> abandoned ride vehicle, launch bay. 
Launch Bay is there. Topia with the rail. Don't forget, though, everybody's <laughs> favorite citizen of Disneyland. Hi, I'm Bird. <laughs> <laughs> hey, those, riding by there. those collectible bird ears are going <laughs> off the going shelf. Fast. They're going real fast. <laughs> the resellers are on the hunt. That's why Wonderground's so backed up. Everybody's trying to get in there to get that exclusive <laughs> bird merch. Okay, so work me through this. We get in the Disneyland mm-hmm. Railroad where the Grand Circle begins mm-hmm. at the Main Street train station. I drew it. Um, <laughs> so we sit right there. Do you think we would have gotten to, uh-oh, <laughs> like, do you think, like, how fast out of the gate do you think we would have entered into the show building? That's a great question. I almost imagine that they would have to have done some s- sort of storytelling before you got there, because that would have, having that be the first part of the journey for many, depending on what station you got on, that's a really quick throw you into the water. So just so you know, it's not going to be this fun the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I, I feel like the, they would have to establish a very quick spiel to get you understanding what's happening that was the jungle today <laughs> today <laughs> here's the jungle in indiana jones oh oh <laughs> that elephant goes off <laughs> every time so because like right now we leave the station mm-hmm. we're immediately embedded in the woods of the yeah. jungle cruise we hear that little spiel and get the elephant roar, mm-hmm. but we don't really see the Jungle Cruise at all. Mm. You're, you're like right on the berm, and you get all the tall trees that obviously make Jungle Cruise super immersive. But yeah, you never, besides hearing the, you occasionally hear the, the gunshots. Yeah, the caps. Mm-hmm. But other than that, like you, you have no idea unless someone mentioned it to you. And so <laughs> the next thing that we do currently today mm-hmm. is we pierce through a building for a moment, we see those like New Orleans like parade yeah, the masks stuff. and the, the helmets, the the beads. What are we riding through there? We're going through the Indiana Jones, or is that pirates? No, at that point it's that. At that point it's pirates. Pirates. You're going over that because Indiana Jones far you, on the other side of the berm. Yeah, you cross um, like not too far after you leave, like before you even hit Jungle Cruise, you're already going. Um, there's like a backstage pathway where vehicles go, like behind Main Street, and then you're going behind Jungle Cruise. And then you hit the um, uh, the uh, queue, the queue, because for Jones, because mm-hmm, backstage there is a way to cross that, but we have to walk up a flight of stairs and down a flight of stairs, like we're literally stepping over the indie queue backstage to get like there's unless I, I otherwise if I didn't do that I'd have to walk the entire circumference of the indie queue to get around the building if I didn't use that's those a, stairs. You, that's a day's work. <laughs> so get my steps in today. Hey, Flair didn't show up today. Just, I'm just circling the indie just show circle. building. <laughs> Watch out for those spears. <laughs> so that would, so that would drastically because if what that building we're going through now mm-hmm. is to work around the pirates show, yeah. As pirates is dropping under the railroad tracks, mm-hmm. we're driving over the top of it. So that would basically mean that we would probably. It's almost like you. Okay, this is how I'm envisioning my mind. Let's hear it. You know how right now we walk under the Jungle Cruise famous sign, Dole mm-hmm. Whip is to our left. You know, it sort of lets us know that we're not going through Fort Wilderness. We're yeah. going into Adventureland. So I almost imagine that we would have to go, the train would go through something, torches lit on each side. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you know, the narrator, 
Right now, folks, we're rolling <laughs> through the jungle. Watch out. You might see Dr. Jones and some of his friends getting into adventures. That's pretty good. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Off the top of my head. <laughs> Dude, if I could just die knowing that my voice is looped oh, inside the park. You're good. Come on, man. He's like, kill me now. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'll, I'll lick everything in Disneyland. <laughs> He's like, just give me a spiel. I don't care where it is. I'm d- Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's a spiel to just safely step out of the vehicle oh. and leave, I'll take it. And they'll mend us in a goodie bag. <laughs> so my uh, opinion would be it would almost mm. be like we're going through those because there have to be some, like you're right. Mm-hmm. If it's going to be, if the train's going to go through that much, it's not going to just be like a casual like. Yeah, because they set you up. We got the setup as we're leaving from um, Tomorrowland Station. They give us that setup as soon as you take off. So it's brief. Primeval Earth. Yeah, but it gives you at least an idea. And then there's that spacing in between where it sets up Primeval World and the other one sets up the Grand. That was the Grand Canyon (laughs) today. And the lightning blast that scares everybody all the time. Hey, that. Hey, when they redid that yeah. and put some of those uh, digital uh, image mapping in mm-hmm. there with the birds and the clouds, yeah, yeah, it's, it's clean. Whatever you do, Walt Disney Imagineering, because I know all those folks listen to the show. Whatever you do, don't touch the lava. <laughs> right, the rolling lava every time. <laughs> the spit roast lava <laughs> is so good. Look at it every time. It's so it makes me hungry. For when I lived in Toronto, there was those Middle Eastern places where it had that shawarma on a stick <laughs> that's and, just spinning, and the cat would just carve off a little. It's it looks just like it that. looks just like that. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't ever get rid of the lava on spit roast or the burning sheets in the Pirates of Caribbean. <laughs> oh, no. Forever. Forever and ever and The ever burning sheets that. are so good. Looks so good. It's fa- I love point people like, check out the fire in the windows is just sheets. <laughs> Silk sheets with a, with an orange so gel. So well done. Love it. So we would get on the train, roll in, probably have some sort of entry point. Like they're not going to just do like the tunnel over where we yeah. kind of scoot past Galaxy's Edge and end up into Toontown. It's like if you're going to make an effort to have it go in the building, then like actively give people an opportunity to see what's going on. So now let's look at this moving over one attraction. Let's look at this dream from the Jungle Cruise. Mm-hmm. Because one thing that I really do like about the NDQ is that when you're walking by and you look over and see like the elephant, like Ganesh, like God yeah. over there, mm-hmm. like that's a really cool vignette to like, or is it the elephant God that we see or is it the tiger that we see from the, um, I want to say the tiger is the tiger is the closest thing. It's the tiger. Then. Yeah. It's, you know, it's been a year. <laughs> it's been a year. It's been a year. Some of this is getting a little, <laughs> little hazy and, and I'm a year older. So it's a, it's the one, two punch. Yeah. But I really do enjoy that that little walkthrough where if we're not doing the fast pass and we're down on the lower or when mm-hmm. we're exiting, I do love like peering over and seeing the Jungle Cruise and not having to hear the jokes. I like seeing the Jungle Cruise from there. Yeah. Like the Jungle Cruise building, like when you're standing up on the balcony before they touch your elbow, like that <laughs> looks awesome. Mm-hmm. It's just the jokes that ruin it for me. <laughs> and hey, plexiglass might block some of those jokes. I might lean back in that plexi. It's like, I can't hear them. I can't hear them. And in my head, I'd start hearing, (laughs) Welcome to Walt Disney's Adventure of the Jungle Cruise. All like spotty, you can't really hear it. (laughs) Cracked AM radio speaker Mm -hmm. just blaring through. I love coming out of the Indie Q and having it still 
even without it necessarily being Indiana Jones, it's Jungle Cruise. It blends so well. Oh, seamlessly. Um, especially when you come out at night too. Yeah, and yeah. the Jungle Cruise boat comes by and it's got the searchlights on. Oh, like, I, and <laughs> the sound of the boat. Yes, mm-hmm. just going along in the water. I love mm-hmm. that. Just turn the microphone off. So <laughs> just 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 dip it into the water. <laughs> Get rid of it. Hey, question for you. Mm-hmm. Is there a tour mm-hmm. where somebody can be baller enough? Like, can Iger get on the boat and be like, shh. <laughs> just pop like, is, is there anybody that can just tell the skipper, don't talk? Like, is there any situation where that happens? They did it one time. Oh, <laughs> put me on that boat! But they didn't have the skipper. What it was is they, this was back when they were creating all those, like, fun upcharge events. So they had the thing where you can have breakfast on the Jungle Cruise. Screw yeah. And they... <laughs> Had it back where the the, the the veldt where all the animals are. They set up like tables and chairs, built at breakfast. No. Yes, this is a thing. Yes, this is a thing. Wow, and it was expensive as you can imagine. But people have breakfast. <laughs> people have breakfast down there, and then they had you go onto the actual boat. They had like a keepsake to take home, Jungle Cruise themed or Tiki themed, of course, and they let people do spiels on it. You couldn't drive it for safety reasons, obviously, but they let you. Pop on the mic and I would crush. <laughs> He's like, I would crush, crush it. it. Been training for this my whole life. He's like, I am ready. The number one thing I get requested over on YouTube is like, Bricky, when are you going to upload a video of you being the skipper <laughs> the on skipper. the Jungle Cruise? Just like get a video and then put yourself over the skipper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just looks like they brought their trunks. <laughs> uh, so in this Indiana Jones version, though, mm-hmm. a couple things that are happening. We are in our boat. Mm-hmm. Once again, we're going to have to adjust the story because we're going on the Jungle Cruise, mm-hmm. but according to that comp art, we're going to see two different attractions and have a train yeah. sort of go by. So it's almost as if that whole western edge of the Jungle Cruise mm-hmm. is now exposed, looking... Because the boats, if if I remember the comp right, mm-hmm. the boats actually go into the show building. Yeah. Because like I know the the boats go into buildings in Walt Disney World mm-hmm. because they don't have the weather that we have, and so a lot of the animatronics have to be protected in. Yeah, their Jungle Cruise at Magic Kingdom has a really terrific, um, like show building sequence. It's not super long, but it's something that makes it different and unique to the you know the original Disneyland one. But it's a it's it's fun, especially if you're not like predicting it or aware of it. And you have only the Jungle Cruise of Disneyland in your mind. It's a nice extra bit that's added on. That adds like a almost like a spooky feel to it, where right. they kind of lean into like, oh, we're going into this cave and it's dark now, and so it's I I like that. I still think ours overall is better, but I really appreciate that dark sequence. You know, we have the only uh, free air teacups too. Mm-hmm. All the other teacups have a canopy over the top of them, but <laughs> blessed with perfect weather. <laughs> and it, those lanterns also are oh. everything, and the oh. fact that. People, other ones don't get that view. Like, especially if you get a cup that's looking at the Matterhorn with the lanterns there, and the lanterns change the colors, you have the moonlight, like... I will never write it on my own free will, (laughs) but I will go down saying the most beautiful attraction in Disneyland at night. That's fair. It is. I'll give you that. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. When you walk by, when you hit Alice's Corner there, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter which direction you're going in, it is beautiful. They have that little enclave where you can stand in and watch your family. Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody out there, but I'm (laughs) going to- I'm I'm just here to enjoy this. I'm just here to watch. (laughs) I love it, dude. (laughs) Looks like your tea party's coming to an end. 
I'm, <laughs> I'm willing to watch those people's best 90 seconds of the day. <laughs> How long is that? Uh, oh, teacups? 90 seconds. I guessed it. Yeah, it, it, is, 90 seconds. it is fast. Yeah. But if I was out there, 90 <laughs> minutes is what that would feel like, just spinning around. Now, do you, now, so I know a ton of people that don't do it because it spins, but I have convinced people to get in and not spin the cup. I don't do it because I hate British people. Okay, that's... <laughs> It's like just get it right. Just out. a completely random reason. I can't. No, it's the spinning, man. Okay, there, I could not. I could not handle that spinning. Because sometimes I've told people, "Oh, if you don't spin it, it actually is not the worst," you know. Yeah. And I've convinced people gone, and they've been good. But other people are like, "I'm because I'm, I'm most of the time either writing that with kids because the parents are like, absolutely not," and I'm like, "All right, I got you." Or I'm staying off to talk with the parents that are choosing not to go and other parents are taking the kids on. Right. And we're just chatting up and talking about it while they're on it. So, but I've gotten people to get on it and not spin it. And they're like, oh, that wasn't terrible. If for me, it's anything that's circular and repetitive. Yeah. It, it's not, you know, I'm not afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not fearful of it. But I just know how, do to you? how dizzy it yeah. will make me and how sick and it will literally ruin I'm like I'm done for like three hours mm-hmm. for three hours I'm like trying to eat as many Mickey pretzels and drink as much Sprite as possible yeah. and <laughs> I'm just not a fun person to be around it was always sad being on tour and like everyone's heading to Guardians and there's the one person in the family that doesn't want to do it and the other family is ripping them. oh yeah and I'm like hey listen I'll stay out with you it's not that big a deal promise we'll chat it up I'll show you some fun stuff but the family's like oh come on it's not and I was like no it's I'm telling you, it's not about fear. Like, they will be in first aid for the rest of the tour. And for that kind of money, yeah. why Don't risk? Like, because I know that you like to do Guardians early in your tours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why spend that kind of money <laughs> and at 9 a.m. be like, I'm done. You're, I'm out. I'm done. I'm, I'm going to go <laughs> sit on a bench on one of the street, rip the park, and then That's when you free. cross over, <laughs> yeah, pick me up. That's free, me dog. So, when we're... Imagine a Jungle Cruise mm-hmm. going into this building. It's going to affect the storytelling of the Jungle yeah. Cruise. We're going to see the Jeep rip by. We're going to see that minecart attraction. Mm-hmm. We're going to see the railroad. Like, I have a feeling that if the way that Disney would do it, that the lighting of the train would be very similar to the lighting of the train at Small World. Yes. Where we're not seeing, like, you know, people on the train we're gonna see silhouettes yeah. of people on the train kind of blacked out mm-hmm. and in my mind i imagine like the train bridge that they're going across looks decrepit mm-hmm. like you know like this is a wild like this is the only way people in this jungle can even imagine you get from like you know one village yep. to the other side it's like literally like you know 24-hour train ride all your items are like in that big crate, <laughs> yes. you know, because they because now you're doing storytelling for the train because you have people that are on Indy and on the Jungle Cruise and on the minecart looking at the train. So those tracks need to blend in because now it's a part of the show building. Cause I remember when Indiana Jones or not Indiana Jones, Jungle Cruise changed their boats to match Indy. Right. So that more rustic look mm-hmm. instead of like the red, white and blue. Look. Yeah. And they did that without it even being actively a part of. Uh, Indiana Jones, but to match that attraction coming, they altered the boats to make up for that. So we know for sure, as you said, they would of course have done that because if they're willing to change that, even though it's not even going in the building, then they would for sure put all the money into making it look seamless on the inside. And I just think that that moment of floating in the Jungle Cruise, seeing all this much faster mm-hmm. paced action than what you're in, seeing probably the train with people silhouetted out, see mm-hmm. the train go over like what looks like, you know, man. That's a sketchy looking train ride. Like <laughs> those rocks could fall at any moment. Like because it would have to feel mm-hmm. like it's of that world. Yeah. 
that might be the Jungle Cruise might be the best to observe all of it. Yeah, like it might have the best view because moving over to our next item, the Jeep, mm-hmm. the the ride that we know, mm-hmm. everything's going to be a blur. Yeah. Oh, there's a train. There's a Jungle Cruise. It's like, too quick. Everything's going to be a blur <laughs> and and purposeful, right? Like, I mean, the Jeep is the Jeep is like the maximum amount of storytelling at that moment that they could tell yeah. on a track ride. Yeah. And in an interesting way, when we see uh, Cosmic Rewind come out, mm-hmm. Cosmic Rewind is going to take the idea of Indiana Jones mm-hmm. and take it even further because it's a full on like, you know, um, Omnimover that can tell stories. Yeah. And what they were doing with Indiana Jones is they were taking a traditional roller coaster attraction mm-hmm. and turning the cart a little bit. The Omnimover turns the cart a lot, but you lose all that speed and yeah. acceleration mm-hmm. and that level of adventure. But soon we're going to get there next, right? And yeah. sort of the step between Indiana, you know, so let's go back and follow this. Mm-hmm. We have, you know, Haunted Mansion as our baseline, you know, the Omnimover moving around. Yeah. Then the next idea in that is let's take Indiana Jones. We have a roller coaster where we're now going to move the cart, you know, up, down, you know, basically north, south, east, west, yeah. and diagonal. Mm-hmm. Then the next idea of that is the trackless ride, right? Yeah. Like, let's take Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast is now trackless mm-hmm. and doing the Indiana Jones mm-hmm. on top of that. And sort of to take that idea 360, Cosmic Rewind is going to be a track ride doing what an Omnimover does, mm-hmm. but also moving in all directions. So it's like, yeah. it's fun to watch the progression of taking all these different ride vehicles yeah. and figuring out which one do we need to tell this story. Mm-hmm. And so being on Indiana Jones on the Jeep, cruising through, seeing like, you know, there would have been a moment where they would have went so snug with the Jungle Cruise where you felt like, you know, they would have... Oh, for sure. It would have gotten so close. That Jeep would have went all the way to the left mm-hmm. and you would have felt like, oh, we're going to fall in the water. Hitting a corner and you see the water down there yeah. as you like ride the corner and like, then come back. Yeah. Goofy's flight school's got nothing <laughs> on how that would have felt like you're falling out of the cart. Have it kind of rumbling to the left or to the right. Oh, for sure. On a tight turn. And it would have for sure done that. It would have been cool to see the rock work with the train and the silhouette of the people. If mm-hmm. you would, even, that would have been like a peripheral thing that you try to catch. Yeah. Like, oh, the train was coming through when we went through. We got to see it. Mm-hmm. But the real change for Indy and what we're talking about would have been how Indy, the the, the Jeep. Well, mm-hmm. I'll call it the Jeep from now on. How the Jeep would have threaded the needle of the minecart. Yeah, over and over <laughs> again. There have been moments where you feel like you're going to hit. Yeah. The beams holding it up. There have been moments where you're going to go through a keyhole with carts going over the top of you. Like the way those two would have danced together, chef's kiss. It's like a couple of near misses yes. when you Woo-hoo. think are going to collide, and then they veer you off at the moment. And that, oh, that to see that happening because the indie already is such a sensory overload as it is, especially for like a first timer doing it enough times, you can you almost anticipate specific things, but having those intertwined together and i've i like you said i don't think wdi would pass up on getting them close together for one a space issue because sure the blessing of size we don't have but also just how much extra energy they could add to that attraction a couple of near misses of Mm -hmm. hitting the beams that are holding it up there'd probably be even one part of the minecarts where it would look like 
corner of it had already been taken out. Mm, yeah. So the mine carts look like they're in peril. But also, just imagine being in your Jeep. Hello, hello. And you're like, <laughs> you're like cruising through there. And then all of a sudden, you go through a, you know, a perfect Disney keyhole. So on the other side, you're seeing the skull on fire. Mm-hmm. But as you're going through that, there's just people mm-hmm. going over the top of you, yelling and screaming. Yeah, their screams. Time. Because clearly, moving over to the next layer of this, the mine cart yeah. would have been the highest on the thrill mm-hmm. train baseline of zero jungle cruise you maybe get a little bit more because you know you're on water which already adds a danger yeah going a little in. bit of a rock to the boat yeah going in and out of buildings <laughs> the jeep being for for <laughs> being far away from those two mm-hmm. but the minecart coaster yeah. would have been the acceleration of excitement it's a pretty intense little coaster uh looking at the paris which I know they. I don't think it's the exact same track layout, but they kept the idea and moved it to Paris. But if they were, to which put they that, did with a lot of things in Paris, yes, they did a lot of things. <laughs> if you're a student of Disneyland mm-hmm. and and you love things like Discovery Bay or mm-hmm. just various things that never came to fruition, oh, they did. Yeah, they're just over in Paris called something else. <laughs> That's a good way to save money. All this uh, already pre-made, uh, <laughs> pre-made stuff. Tony Baxter, do you have any drawings that you could share for us? <laughs> Do I look in TB's magic suitcase? Yeah, to see if the, if that was able to be, or if they were able to put that into the building too. That's a pretty great uh, attraction, and then heightened even more because the one at Paris is outside, which is not terrible, but placing it in the much darker and show oh. and the environment of the show building. The Paris one does fall a little bit short because mm-hmm. it's completely yeah. able to see from outdoors. Mm-hmm. There's no level of what's this going to be like. Yeah. like. It lacks a lot of the Disney like show and tell. We're yeah. not going to show anything. We're just going to tell you you're going to do something and then it's going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, one of my favorite things to do is like when I'm taking somebody on soar and I like going, what do you think you're getting ready to do right now? <laughs> like, what do you think <laughs> you're getting ready to me? What do you think you're getting ready to do right now? <laughs> and they are never even close to guessing what's getting ready to happen, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the best way to go into soaring is like, you don't know what you're doing. And then, boom, probably the most emotional park in all of DCA yeah. just gets you right in the mm-hmm. chest. Agreed. But that minecart, this is going to go fast. Yep. This is going to, once again, dangle you over the water, rip around the railroad. You know, before we talked about being in the Jeep and having this go overhead, imagine you come down a hill as mm-hmm. the Jeep is piercing underneath your oh. tracks. They would probably mess with sight lines where it looks like, oh my Lord, that Jeep is going to take out the track that's keeping me alive <laughs> right now. The fact that those would have looked like little like wooden crates, you know there would have been lots of tricks like, oh my God, put your head down because that beam yeah. is going to take our, our heads It's like up. those very specific dips that you get on Big Thunder. Yes. Where it's like just close enough to like, oh, it's like I know I've been on this 100 times. You have, you have four feet. Yeah. Four feet from your head. But best remove them. Because <laughs> this here is the wildest ride oh, in the world it is. Just give me a, like if you need a hillbilly narrating anything, <laughs> I'm your guy. It's like any if you need any spiels done for Frontierland, just just give me a call. Some say his name was Walt Disney, taller than a tree. Uh, so, with the coaster though, that would have been awesome. Yeah, because we would have had Big Thunder, 
Space Mountain. Mm-hmm. You put this in there. We now and and sorry, Matterhorn. You put this in there. We now have a fourth coaster. Yeah, and I think probably this would have been for sure like a crazy fan favorite mm-hmm. because of getting to see Indiana Jones, getting to rip around fire, the lighting package, like uh, Matterhorn. First inversion for Disneyland too. Yeah, that would have been it. That'd been the only one that mm-hmm. we would have actually inside the park. So. This would have been a favorite because Big Thunder Mountain, you're indoor, you're outdoor. You know, it's got a couple of really good turns. It's mm-hmm. got a good, good drops. I don't want to downplay it at all. It's a fantastic coaster. Yes. It's the best one at the park. Matterhorn, Old Faithful, you go all the way up <laughs> to the top. Gravity takes you Bring down. down. You get such good looks out into the park. Like, if you can do Matterhorn during fireworks, oh. you are winning at life. And then Space Mountain... For thrill seekers, it's not for me because I I, I don't like that I can't see anything. Mm-hmm. I prefer hyperspace mountain yeah. because you it, mentioned that it gives me just enough to be like I'm not gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you even let, let's just pretend for a second that the mine carts is just Goofy's flight school. Yeah, even thing, still, yeah, it would crush mm-hmm. being inside that environment. I've always wanted Goofy Sky School to be in a building as well. If you put that in a building mm-hmm. and give us projections and animatronics, yep. it would crush the thing. That is a really fun coaster. Mm-hmm. The thing that makes it a little bit on the weaker side is that it's outdoors, fully exposed. Mm-hmm. But those billboards are good. <laughs> it's like built on a sand pit. They could take that down in a couple of days if they wanted oh. to. <laughs> in fact, there's a rumor that Iger had to put in the backyard for the kids. Oh, I don't believe it. I believe it. Could you uh, imagine if we found that the part, like one of the presidents, like borrowed one of the attractions for a birthday party? Asked, asked the Imagineers, how much to put that in my house, you think? Hey, nobody knows where Astro Orbiter was for six months. It was gone. Straight up gone. Needed it for a kid's birthday party. Oh, it would be so amazing if you heard that some rich dude, like, yeah, like guy who's like the, you know, king of whatever mm-hmm. rented that for six months <laughs> it's like a saudi prince is like yeah how much for just like a couple months just so that i can have it at it'd be house. even better if it was somebody's like i'm not allowed to go to the u.s so how much does it cost <laughs> to have disneyland shipped to me i'll pay for the refurb and everything i just want it at my house for a couple months got some friends coming Dude, over kids would ride it for 45 minutes but daddy i'm bored yeah we're done here <laughs> get an e-ticket next time but i think that the mine cart would have really solidified you know if we did get the paris version yeah it would have been so much better indoors that would have really given roller coaster people because people that love thrill rides at disneyland there's a high chance that indiana jones is their favorite attraction Mm -hmm. that would have upped the ante so much more yep something fast threading the needle around all these other show elements in the dark using the lighting using the fire using all the rock work like it would have probably eliminated things like, you know, riding past the skeletons in the Jeep, mm-hmm. riding past a... <laughs> <laughs> but so many near misses, so many collisions, like it would have felt even more like Indiana Jones because yeah. it would have felt like everything was one second away from falling apart. Yeah, have like some crashed mine vehicles off to the side. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Puffs of like smoke or air. Like, yeah. And I'm sure they... Um, if not onboard audio, then like a massive um, like sound system that plays on its own potentially, right. or even having like um, 
a sound system that's synced up potentially with the vehicles so that you're getting this like overall sense of you're now in a much bigger, more elaborate environment um, as opposed to, you know, like the Jungle Cruise, maybe not of the train because you just dip in and dip out. But the other ones, they are like actively in the building. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would have been nuts. Like having them be able to control the environment is always the best thing. It's it's why Dark Rides are just the best because they have, they can do what they want. You can control everything mm-hmm. that the guests sees, feel, yep. the temperature. Like you can control everything by putting them inside of a box mm-hmm. when you do something outdoors it's just so much is left up to chance yeah you know it's like you know i give them an a for effort on trying to turn the Incredicoaster into a story mm-hmm. it's really hard to tell a story at that speed too fast and then the only storytelling you get uh, is just the tvs briefly in the queue and i applaud them i really do because California Screaming was always the odd duck, as in it was a great coaster, but it's not a good Disney coaster. No. Especially when you have across the way Thunder, Matterhorn, and Space, which excel at theming, immersion, and storytelling. All of them are a landmark. Yep. You know, they're all mm-hmm. a landmark, and then you have this thing that's just like off the shelf, even though it looked beautiful, it's on the pier, like it had the right mm-hmm. vibes, it just didn't have the story. Yep. And, you know, I really, uh, somebody who doesn't ride that attraction, I love when I'm dropping off my loved ones or waiting for them, mm-hmm. seeing the mid-century modern home yeah. over there. And, you know, my favorite detail that came from all of this is I love that water fountain mm-hmm. that separates <laughs> the Incredibles land mm-hmm. with Jesse's Roundup on the other side. It's like that, that the eye, the big Incredibles yeah. logo, and then it's on the backside there. That yeah. rusted in a week and they had to replace <laughs> yeah, it. They're like, oh, we got to redo this. We got to get something, some different materials. You think somebody's like, Oh, Steve did say something about it was going to have water on it, but I thought it was temporary. It's just like someone in the back at WDI is like, you guys listen. Like, yeah. like hey, no one's paying attention. Not for nothing, but Joanne said she's using that. That That's going to rust. <laughs> Somebody just put their arms over like, told you all. It's like, told you guys. Told now you, you got to spend more money to read. <laughs> told you it wouldn't last 30 days. <laughs> nobody listens to Jonathan in accounting. Nope. <laughs> So this is the one thing that's debatable, though, as we wrap up sort of this dream conversation. I hope you guys are enjoying this. Now I want this. Well, I, I mean, I've always wanted it, but now I really want it. <laughs> hey, go to bed tonight thinking that it's there because who knows? Maybe it <laughs> we is. We come back and they're like, Maybe surprise, <laughs> we built that show building. We heard you complain about <laughs> Splash Mountain and now we built you this. <laughs> you know, we're going to do this. Somebody listens to half of this and then they're going to say, Hey, the re-theme of the Jungle Cruise is going to be It Goes Through Indiana Jones. Now, this is the part that I am I would love to get a little friendly debate going on with the time we have left. All right. Before we get into our bonus content for Club 1313. Mm-hmm. Would this have been better with the show building? Because the temple that we have now mm-hmm. is pretty small. Yes. Pretty hard to see. As we said in the opening, Like you can breeze past this and not see this. Oh, yeah. It's, it's literally the marquee. And jungle, like right. there's, I mean, you get the uh, obviously the wait time. I almost imagine more guests see the wait time sign than they do the indie sign. Now, did you know that that jeep out front was in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> I love that, like that, <laughs> and I appreciate because I imagine when people go on tour with me, um, there, I feel like there are facts. Like, you know, those things pop up on BuzzFeed, like 20 things you didn't know about Disneyland. Yeah. And it's where somebody's like, that sounds like this, 20 things <laughs> nobody told you about Disneyland. And it's like the basic ones that I think almost any Disney fan would know off the hat. So the basketball court, the Jeep out in the front, you know. Uh, Why are there yeah. not 
basketball jerseys for the Matterhorn. <laughs> why is there not a, a Yeti's jersey? Like, why has someone not done this? <laughs> Consumer products, listen. Make a logo with Harold on it. Like, yo. Hire the Harlem Globetrotters, <laughs> re-theme them as the Disneyland Yetis, have them do like a little basketball show at the bottom of the mountain. God, that would be so insider and so amazing. Be like a night, that, save that for like an after dark event. Just spinning that, <laughs> spinning that red, white, and blue basketball on their fingers, pulling it behind your ear. Oh, you had a basketball behind your ear. You had no idea. But my question for you mm-hmm. is, the show building in this fantasy suite yeah is grandiose like, it's huge it's like <laughs> huge i mean arguably it's it looks like a disneyland mountain yeah one i don't know where they're gonna get that land from but because i mean the size of that thing you're going way over in a jungle cruise you're going over behind pirates but mm. let's just pretend like there's the space there is indy better for being one of the top five attractions at the park mm-hmm. and completely hidden something that they learned and replicated mm-hmm. with Rise of the Resistance. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it is. I think it's. It almost has. I I really appreciate when Imagineering can create something elaborate, but not have it look like an attraction. Like right. The story and the theming, the immersion is so good. Like my favorite thing about. Uh, Gal- one of my favorite things about Galaxy's Edge is that there's no signs. You know, this is not the Smuggler's Run. They put signs in Florida. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> I was watching Ordinary Adventures, who mm-hmm. are great people, and they were. I mean, it was really emotional. Watch them go back to Batu. Yeah, because they hadn't been there in about a year. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching their video where they go to Batu, and Peter's just like, "Oh, there's a sign now." I mean, it looks pretty temporary because it was literally like three. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, uh, Savi's this way, yeah. uh, Oga's that way. And so the signs looked like they're from Galaxy's Edge, yeah. but it was on a stark white metal beam on like <laughs> casters. Yeah. Very like they could just roll yeah. it around. <laughs> yeah. That... I'm like, did Scotty Tolbridge sign off on that one? <laughs> because the fact that there's no, you know, no signage anywhere, you know, so you, you, cool. it's a, you know, it's a hangar. It is a. Uh, a resistance outpost, you know, so good. That I think is the really special thing about attractions like that, and that really blurs the lines, you know. Because I think a lot of times you f- you just at- naturally feel like you're in a queue because there are certain liberties that just cannot be taken. You know, you imagine you're in Space Mountain before you get in the building. You have the chains outside. It's just something that they can't get by. But no part of Rise of Resistance queue feels like that. Like you're, it's everything is through rock work. There's no active chain really anywhere because all of the things separating the queue are like wires and cables that you can say the resistance put there. That kind of thing. Or even Indiana Jones, once you get inside, of course, the um, it's like the bamboo that's on the side as yeah, opposed to like a chain. it's all self-explanatory. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of stuff. Because um, I, I worry about how big that building would be. Like it sounds great and it would be interesting how much that would change downtown disney because if that ride had opened in 95 downtown disney didn't come until 01 so how much of that space potentially could have been used for that because we already know it's dipping outside the berm as it is with the waves <coughs> why, why are the waves on the back of that building that's that's a good question i'm assuming because you to can't make it see that. <laughs> no, you can't. anywhere 
because you, I, I'm assuming it's just to make it not look like a squared out building because they have the palm trees there. The palm trees match that like go away or green or no see green. And I remember I've actively pointed it out to people who have never noticed it before. So it's doing its job because now I told them now that you, I showed you that you'll never unsee it. That will always be the Indiana Jones ride for you. It's so it, it goes right up mm-hmm. to the tram route. right up to the tram. You know, today I got a salt and straw. Mm-hmm. I sat on one of those bitches by the tram. I, I put my foot over the yellow line. <laughs> and someone ran out to get them. And I just sit there and I just looked at the back of the building and I looked at that, you know, crinkle cut. Mm-hmm. And I looked at those palms and listened to, uh, I got uh, two hits. It was the uh, Fantasmic soundtrack mm-hmm. right in the sword. Might have had a magic leak out of my eye. <laughs> just but maybe. I just sit there and I'm just like, and I thought about taking my photo out because we're like, people, I'm like, people would probably love to see the trampy and like ripping a salt and straw. I'm like, this one's for me. This one's, this for, one's me. for me. Now I'm talking about it. So it wasn't for me. But that one was for me. But you're right. If that building would have pushed out more, mm-hmm. it would it would have changed everything. And the building looks so cool and the lighting package would have been great. Yep. But for sure, if we just look at the the math of the geometry you're losing the jungle cruise show yeah. building you i mean you couldn't move pirates you, you can't move the dream suite so that's all hard in there so yep. you're probably walking back a decent path to this giant pyramid that looks like a disney mountain it would have changed really everything mm-hmm. and probably probably one of the things that kept that from not being possible is yep. how do we hide that Mm-hmm. on the outside of the park because other than matterhorn and now the spires of galaxy's edge yeah. and the top of of uh space mountain we don't see a lot Mm-mm. i mean there is that one beauty shot though when you're going on harbor over the five and you look over shoulder like i can see small world <laughs> but i mean it's quick man it is so and now quick. runaway railway you can see over there too yeah runaway railway is massive it's a big building and we're gonna get into talking about that Ooh. when I give you my review. I saw a movie that a lot of people have not seen. <laughs> it's called Roger Rabbit. And I'm going to explain it to... There's a lot of people like, what is Roger Rabbit? I'm going to explain it to everybody <laughs> coming up right now for members of Club 1313. <laughs> Flander, everybody loves the Indiana Jones that we got, mm-hmm. but it was so much fun to really break down the science about how all of this could have happened. And my mind has been racing ever since we said that this is what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. I've really been thinking about that show building. I'm like, I cannot figure out a way to make it fit. Mm -hmm. But railroad would have had it for sure pierce through. I mean, the railroad would have gone through it a long time. It would have been so big. Jungle Cruise would have got shaved down. Like That building would have changed everything, which is probably why what we got is perfect Mm -hmm. because it just fits in that slice yeah, of land it really, perfectly. It works. And it's almost like you would imagine that to even create something of that magnitude, you would need a new land or a new park. Like that's a yeah. that's gotta be a ground up build without having to worry about, you know, two classics, opening day jungle cruise and, you know, sixty seven pirates that you have to fit things around. That sounds like a ground up build or an additional land added to Shanghai in the future or something where Imagineering gets almost like a clean slate to create this granted they're not going to have you know they may not have the railroad attached to it but a building that has like multiple because that's like an attraction that has two e-tickets pretty much in it yeah which is uh something that i can't imagine if they were thinking about it back then that can only assume that this is something that we could potentially get in the future probably not at disneyland sadly (laughs) but 
maybe it's time for that TDA building to go. <laughs> it's, like, hey, it's like, get it out. See you later, Kenny P. Rocks. <laughs> you can move your office somewhere else. Have fun in Fullerton. It's like, put, put his office inside the show building somewhere. Oh. <laughs> Why you? Just see him in there crunching numbers as you drive around. Like, oh. <laughs> the bad guy in there. <laughs> he, he has to wear a full-on costume Every while he's time. just doing his job. So if you're going to be in there, Kenny, you got you to gotta be. Wear the costume. You got Hey, man, it's rules are rules. <laughs> rules are, the president. <laughs> rules, <laughs> rules are rules, Kenny. <laughs> Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Thank you so much for listening to part one of today's podcast, where I gave you a very long story about how I got to this moment of being Philander's friend, but also what our friendship means to us, and hopefully in that story that you realized that uh, it's up to you to make sure that you have a little someone that represents every slice of what makes you, you. Coming up in part two, Philander and I are going to talk all about some news that's maybe already happened, but you can see our excitement, our anticipation, and maybe a couple of predictions that went right or went the wrong way. And last but not least, on the 26th of the month, I get together and I watch a movie with select members of Club 1313. It's a fun community thing to get together. It's so not about watching a movie with me, but about all of us watching a movie together. And last month, uh, the gang picked Who Framed Roger Rabbit? It's a little independent film that not many people have seen. So I'm one of the rare people that has now seen this film. And uh, I give Philander my review but also my Disneylanders review of who framed Roger Rabbit and how it fits into Disneyland. And there's a couple of things that made me very, very angry. So if you're a member of club1313.com, make sure you head over to the website, go to your members portal page, and that's where you will be able to find the bonus content. And for anybody else who wants to hear more of today's conversation, and I know it's been a long one, I'm proud of that. You can head over to club1313.com and become a member today. What do you say we get started with part two? It's Philander Butler and myself inside of Club 1313. All right, let's get into this. A couple of things I want to talk about. Tonight, uh, thank you so much for being a member of Club 1313. We're going to just rip through some topics. So tonight was my second to last free trip. That's right, Tuesdays. Yes. Yes, yes. So next Tuesday will be my last Tuesday night rip to free DCA. This will be a day long remembered. <laughs> Trail of tears. <laughs> this is the thing, though. I went there tonight, mm-hmm. and I didn't even film a What's New at Disneyland mm-hmm. because there was nothing new. The only thing that I saw tonight that was different is shout out to our boy, Jared. Mm-hmm. Every single banner in the front of Wonderground is his. That is legit. Jared is... He's been on the come up. I'm not going to say he's on the come up. He's been on the come up, and I, it's, it's he's such a staple of it. Like that, his particular brand of the way the characters are drawn. And I am a massive fan of when other creatives, I'll say like you and Jared, um, get the license for Disney because we've seen these characters the way they've been drawn for decades now. Sure. So I love when someone else gets to put their own stamp on it. That's why I loved going into uh, Wonderground, and then before it turned into the home shop, the D Street, they used to be there. Like, yeah, D Street was a pretty cool store. Mm-hmm. Just It felt different, you know? Like, you get, like, like I saved the Disneyland, you know, like the Disneyana, like that feels right for that. 
downtown that was like give me my Wonderground, give me my D Street, like this different well, vibe. It's just nice to see, you know, Disneyland has had a massive influence on culture. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see stores that represent how that influence has shifted. So it's everything that you love about Disneyland through the lens of Jared, which mm-hmm. is how do I make it as simple as possible yeah. with a level of sophistication and make it cute mm-hmm. and literally take things that are very proprietary to Disneyland and just make them with as few pieces as possible. But you know, that's a Disneyland popcorn cart. Yeah. Like right? it's, I like It's, it's like elegant in its simplicity. Right. Like, it's, it's the fact, so much harder than what it looks. Yeah, like it's the fact that it's so simple that makes it so, I think, endearing. Right. That you can look at a really, like a beautiful piece of art, you know, but seeing the the skill and the time, because Jared's essentially taking something that is potentially grandiose, you know, like a, a, a mountain or a very popular character and finding a way for him to, he's, he's getting the specific things that makes this character, this landmark, this location. Right. And including that, because obviously to, get that simple cute thing that he does so well you have to make cuts but what's the thing that makes this important that makes that makes it the Matterhorn that makes it Peter right. Pan and it, it really I've you know I've interviewed lots of folks that do that type of artwork mm-hmm. it's designed by subtraction yeah they literally keep removing pieces until it doesn't look like Mickey anymore mm-hmm. and then you put that last piece back on yeah. and that's the piece that holds it together mm-hmm. so really the only thing that I could see today that was new was the fact that Jared has done a, a, a takeover of the front of the store. Mm-hmm. And if you heard last week's show, you know the reason why the show came out on Thursday, fingers crossed, mm-hmm. is that they're celebrating Jared and he has an entire home line mm-hmm. um, with his name on it. Huge accomplishment. So proud of, of Jared. But that was the the only thing that was different. And so as this show is coming out today, Yesterday was my final, final mm-hmm. take, and I had I have something planned for that a week out. We're recording this a week out, but what I'm getting at is you can feel the energy has shifted. Mm-hmm. The people that are there at least two weeks out, those people are there because it's free. Yeah. They're hanging out, and God bless them. There's nothing wrong with that. They're hanging out. They're having fun. They're ripping some snacks, but just like... I could feel that the energy shifted when the food went away. Mm-hmm. You can feel right now that the energy has shifted again and people are waiting for Touch of Disney. Yeah. Not a good name for an event. Yeah. Uh, but you can feel that the energy has shifted, that people are waiting for that next big thing. Mm-hmm. And I walked through there, Philander. You know, I've been a faithful. I've gone every week. You've been there. Every single week, even when the... When the food was gone. Food was gone. (laughs) When the virus was wild, when it was sad Christmas, the worst birthday I ever spent at a Disney park where I had to bring my own button and there was nobody there. Um, I wrote it out every single week, and I just have to say it's ran its course. Yeah. It's not as exciting. We've done everything. Mm -hmm. They're not putting anything new in. They're holding back for their event, which I would too if I was running the business. Yep. Like, I walked through there today and I said, you know what? I'm ready to move on to the next chapter, even though Touch of Disney means something really important. Mm -hmm. It is the cold water in the face that you're no longer an AP holder. Mm. Because being able to go and know every week that I could walk into BVS still felt like I had, it was a phantom limb. Mm -hmm. Felt like I had my pass. Yeah, you walked right through those gates. You just, the only thing you weren't doing was 
But that's done. Yeah. You know, as of yesterday, that was the last free one this weekend coming up. Ironically, Sunday the 14th, mm-hmm. the year anniversary of nobody being in the park, will be the last day of free DCA. And I have to say, it was gracious on their part. It was very smart on their part. Yep. But it has served a purpose. And as much as I like free and as much as I like going there, mm-hmm. it is time to move on to another chapter. I know that's probably not a popular thing to somebody. And I'm no. like, I might feel like an elitist saying mm-hmm. that because I have the means to go. But as somebody who's been there, it can't be free forever. Yeah. And making it cost money to get in, to me, just means we're a step closer to getting back to normal. Yeah. I like to tell a lot of people when they ask about any big changes is that how we all you and I always talk about the business side. This thing has done the job it needed to do. Right. And now it's time to, to move on. It's the same thing with attractions. Uh, it's the same thing with shows, entertainment. It did the job it needed to do. Everything that is put into Disneyland is serves a purpose. Right. It has a job. It's you know creating this new space for people to come. It's doing this. It's doing that. It's but it serves a purpose. Some things their job is not done. We got things like Pirates of the Caribbean. Its job is not done. It probably will never be done. No. <laughs> no. But other things, it, it's it's it did what it needed to do, and now it's time to move on to another thing. And having five people move a track. <laughs> <laughs> what if we came back in and that was gone? Can you oh. Imagine. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. I mean, unfortunately, because of satellite photos, I know you're like we you know. Tell. But man, hey, that while you guys were nuts. gone, we did a couple of things. <laughs> we we just we sledgehammered it out. Kenny P's like, I'm sick of this thing. <laughs> he goes down himself to do it. Just one day when Gavin tells him he can't reopen the park, he's like, Give me a take, hammer. Take the anchor Give out. Give me a hammer. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's served its time um and it, it was great because downtown disney did its thing when it first opened up 